Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. So Earth Day was already on April 22nd. Uh, I hope that you all celebrated it well. Uh, This is, of course, a retroactive episode. So this is happening in the present time, which is a little bit later within the year. Though um, I was planning on doing like a special giveaway, which I usually always do on Earth Day. I am debating about whether to do it because of the coronavirus um, and maybe some people are skeptical about even getting prizes because they're worried about, you know, germs and everything. So I may, um, you know, wait a little bit, maybe a few days and wait a little bit later to announce details on it and if I'm going forward with it. And if I am going forward with it, you'll definitely know in the episode announcements for next time. But um, this is just a heads up in case I go forward with the giveaway and I'll have details on that. So just look out for every um, you know episode announcements going forward. Uh, especially about the uh, special Earth Day uh, giveaway, but it's going to be the retroactive edition because of when this episode is coming out. Next up is the segment Headlines from the Hemispheres. It's a quick briefing on environmental news all around the world. There are a few different headlines, and one of the first ones is talking about dinosaurs and the extinction event that happened, killing them all. So darkness, not cold, likely responsible for dinosaur killing extinction. And so that was found on ENN.com, that's Environmental News Network. It talks about new research and how global fires that were ignited after the impact of the asteroid would have blocked out sunlight for a long period of time, so much so that will really drive the mass extinction event, which we all know about, that killed like most of the life on Earth. You know, 66 million years ago when all the dinosaurs were around. And this new study was out of the American uh, Geophysical Union and in their journal Geophysical Research Letters. And they simulated uh, the contributions of the impacts of the sulfur, the dust, the dirt, the soot, and these types of emissions in the extreme darkness and the cold. So this is, you know, done during uh, the impact of winter and how it, you know, exacerbated that and made that a lot worse. And so this cold really could have driven uh, the effects of uh, the meteor, uh, the asteroid that impacted the planet uh, to, you know, really kill off the dinosaurs. It was, you know, huge that it happened and uh, it killed off all the dinosaurs. So, you know, the darkness, uh, not the cold temperatures really made 
the uh, killing of the dinosaur is a bit more uh, elevated as far as uh, what happened to them. And so it really, you know, contributed to them dying off. The uh, next headline is all about STEM students and online learning. So STEM students learn as well online as in classrooms. And that was on ScienceDaily.com in the science news section there. So there was a study that was done in Russia, so a bit far away from here in the U.S., and it tracked a whole bunch of students, about 300 students, uh, where top universities sort of standardized their online classes, uh, and this was done by different uh, institutions. And so in the study, the researchers sort of developed a randomized trial of the participants to test whether the students in Russia learned as much as they did online uh, in the classes known as uh, open EDUs. The source is the place where these classes were uh, as they did in traditional in-person classes. So they were comparing uh, both of these. And they found that the final exam scores did not vary differently uh, depending on the, the versions of the, uh, the exams that were given out. So there wasn't too much difference. With the online classes, though, those are uh, great because they do save money in the long run, though there are startup costs to them. So that's a potential um, you know, worry for states or places where there's maybe low budgets for monies uh, in these different types of universities. And then the last headline is about the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. So 10 years after Deepwater Horizon oil spill, industry says it's better prepared. And you can check more about it on npr.org in its environment section. So the source uh, for uh, the podcast episode's news comes from ScienceDaily.com. And so there were a few reasons why I thought that this was an important topic. Um, One of which is because I don't talk uh, too much about drought as a particular issue and how it impacts, um, you know, different societies, people, uh, groups. So I figured to discuss it and learn some things about uh, water and how it's connected to those who live in in communities where droughts are going to happen. Um, and we're going to, you know, dive into the disparities between people, which I'm, I am familiar with. I know that, um, you know, depending on where you live uh, in the U.S. or even the world, you know, your life chances could, you know, increase or decrease depending on that. You know, your zip code matters. Your zip code is super important. Um, when it comes to, you know, how your life is going to pan out, uh, what opportunities are going to be available to you, uh, job opportunities, crime rates, so many things are impacted based on where you live. Uh, so uh, when I saw this uh, title uh, on Science Daily, I was like, this is an interesting topic to talk about, you know, like, um, you know, being someone who's sociology focused, and that's what I do, um, you know, I think that this information needs to get out there, um, talking about droughts and weather impacts and how people are struggling to pay for something that is essential to life, um, is devastating, you know, and that when water should be free, water should be a right, you know, you need water to live. Um, and so we're going to look at the, the disparities 
in uh, you know drought impacts and on water in communities where they're really being affected in hard hit in hardest hit. So we're going to talk about drought and disparities in water. So there was research that was published in a peer-reviewed article on April 17th in a special edition of uh, Science. So online, you can check it out and as a special edition of it because it's the drought uh, edition of the uh, article. So droughts are becoming more and more frequent uh, in uh, this year and 2020, uh, previous years. And in the U.S., water services are really fragmented. So you'll have um, different utilities or places where uh, they, you know, operate water systems that may or may not be, um, you know, locally known, you know, uh, structured by any entity, maybe not owned by anybody. You know, some people have wells, some people pay for the water, some people are really uh, struggling to sort of find a, a system that works. But in the U.S., it's varied. And so uh, there's really small systems that uh, feed into bigger systems, and there's local funding that is really struggling. And so the, the research really uh, pointed on that. And so this means that a lot of people, a lot of households are vulnerable to things like water contamination or not having the service that they need or it's cut off or it's infrequent. And that was from the Duke University analysis is what it was showing. So uh, people who live in low-income housing or are low or are low-income, um, maybe don't live in the best areas or uh, minority communities, which I hate to say, but people of color or people who um, aren't uh, the majority population, you know, the predominant population, um, they're facing the highest risks. That's nothing new, um, but it's something that they've noticed, and it's it's true for a lot of things. So uh, CWSs, or community water systems, they kind of focus on uh, user fees for their funding. So people have to pay into these water systems uh, for them to get funded, which historically uh, has led to residents sometimes not being able to pay because they don't have the funding, they don't have the resources, they're, they're struggling between bills. And so this results in people who are getting, you know, high quality water, people who live in affluent communities, richer communities, people who don't have to worry about where the water is coming from, you know, rural communities where poverty may be concentrated or your neighbor may live, you know, miles and miles away, you know, are they paying for the service? We don't know. But they're usually getting sometimes lower quality service because of that disparity there, because they live in a community where it's not fixed, where their, where their funds are not stable. So there has been, uh, in closing, there has been um, recent efforts to sort of map how um, the U.S. water systems are. And so their service areas, you know, vary, are varying greatly. So the, the research focused uh, a bit on North Carolina and the Durham area, but uh, there shows promise in sort of mapping where these community water systems are, even though they are in the minority, not everyone gets their water in the U.S. from community water systems. There's a very, very small uh, subset or percentage, and I'll get into a little bit later in the commentary segment. So not a lot of people know probably about 
uh, community-wide systems, but if they are to be developed, then there has to be more research, more um, scaling of maps, more finding where these are because they are around, but they are very small in in um, as far as like population density to how many people live in the U.S. So I want to leave you all with a notable quotable before I get to my commentary. So, quote, small water systems already are at a disadvantage when it comes to protecting water security during drought because of the financial constraints they face. Underlying patterns of segregation can amplify these weaknesses along economic and racial lines, end quote. Now it's from Megan Mullen. She's the Associate Professor of Environmental Politics at Duke's Nicholas School of the Environment. I have just one question, you know. I just want to know why community water systems exist. Um, because they are, I think, inefficient in my, you know, viewing of this whole topic. And for the most part, I think unaccessible to people who are poor, who are struggling uh, to pay bills, you know, month to month, you know, and how they're going to, you know, live. You know, you if, you if you're struggling for water and resources, you have a lot to, to worry about and you're, and you're struggling to pay for it. And I don't see how people who have to pay into a system like something like health insurance, um, you know, how it benefits them when this is something that they need. I mean... People are going without health insurance because they, they're putting other bills, you know, ahead of themselves or thinking about their families. Like, this is so inefficient. There are 50,000 community water systems delivering water uh, in the U.S. And a big percentage of them only serves fewer than 3,300 people. That's nothing. There are almost 330 million people in the U.S. And you're telling me that only 50,000 of the water systems only serve less than 4,000 people? That doesn't, that doesn't add up. And the fact that they're, they're segregating the water systems amongst people who can afford to pay for them, or if, you're, or, or if you happen to be a person of color... That that that's so much of a of a disadvantage, and only because of the skin that you're born in, or the zip code that you happen to live in, or the county or region, and it it makes it so hard to get ahead when you can't even pay for something as basic needing as water. You know there are more than uh, forty. So that means more than forty thousand of the community water systems serve a little bit less than four thousand people of those those three thousand three hundred people. That's not a lot of, uh, of of people that that infrastructure gets to. There are millions of people in this in this country struggling uh, with the coronavirus and they're struggling for a place to live. You know, fighting between paying for medications and groceries and if they're going to you know survive you know month to month because they can't afford to get a job. You know, because it's hard to even you know apply and actually you know get a win, get an interview, and and get there. You know, we all want to uh, get to our next level no, level in life. We all want to, you know, have families or, you know, just live a, a bachelor's, bachelor's life and to be happy and to be healthy. And it's, it's not happening because of the systems that are in place. They have been historically here for as long as I can remember. 
I'm not even I'm not even old enough to remember when things were really bad bad back in the days of like, you know, the the 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, even before then, even slavery times. But but you have systems where they're disenfranchising people be, because of the lack of resources, you know, through no fault of their own. If you're born in poverty, you had no no choice in that circumstance. You didn't ask to be born poor. No one wants to be born poor. But if you have money, you know, you, you, you shirk the responsibility on people who have less than you. That That's not fair. People who are, who are people of color, people, everyone who's not white, everyone who's in a marginalized community, people who are maybe stuck in between, you know, positions and jobs. They don't have a lot of benefits. They're, 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 they're living in places where their food deserts are or places where there aren't a lot of economic opportunities there. Immigrant communities. These places are suffering and they're destabilizing communities and creating holes in them. What does that mean? That means that they're not able to have families. That means that they're not able to live there, to grow the, the, the base of money to support the services that they need. So, you know, their, their basic services like their trash or uh, the cleaning up of their streets, water, um, things like that, social services, all these things are destabilized because the people aren't able to live there, you know, and you're, you're fighting between, um, you know, water resources. It doesn't make any sense. Can these things change? Well, sure they can, you know, but everyone should maybe pay a little bit into the system. Like everyone wants to have, you know, universal free healthcare. That's a, a big issue on the topic, especially with the political political candidates of today. Um, and so I think that everyone should pay just a little bit of money, a little bit, you know, the poor should pay, you know, a, a smaller portion in the, in those who are wealthier and have resources, they should pay chunks of money. Um, so whether you, you know, live in the suburbs or in condos, or if you live in a city or if you live in rural or if you live in the boonie somewhere, Paying a little bit into the system so that everyone can have water uh, is, is what makes it equitable, is what makes it easy for everyone to have the ability to have water, to live where they live. No one should have to worry about uh, you know, fighting rent and water costs. You know, that, that should not happen here in the U.S. anywhere. But, you know, we talked about, oh, this is the, the, the U.S., the country where, you know, anything can happen, where, where dreams are made of, where you can make your own opportunities, where you can have the American dream. But people who've been here for years are having to live in squalor or not live the life that they're supposed to live, that they want to live, all because of, their, of, of a drought that um, somehow upends them and they're, they're out on their feet. You know, if they have a family to take care of, you know, that's so demoralizing and and it's dehumanizing. And it's only happening because they don't have enough money. It's not fair. There are changes that need to happen. And sure, this topic could be uh, done more thoroughly. People could learn more about this. I just learned, you know, about this topic and I'm I'm glad that I know more about it now um, because before I didn't. And so I think that with this topic, like there's so much that we can go forth in either changing this landscape of having, you know, these systems that aren't in the, that are inefficient and don't work. Um, because, you know, like I said, if there's millions of people in the U S here and there's less than, you know, um, just less than a few, you know, 
4,000 people who are getting access um, to these systems, you know, the majority of the time, that's not enough. That's, that's inefficient right there. So you're at a loss. You know, how about the other systems? How many more other systems do we have in the U.S.? I know that they're all not community water systems, but there are people who, you know, pay their water bills as a part of the utility company that they, that they go for for water. Maybe that's what should happen. You know, maybe, um, you know, the different water systems that are available, maybe they should be better structured. Maybe the money that we're paying into them, how much money we're paying for these water bills and everything, they should be better infrastructure so that it meet, it, it satisfies more customers in, in other regions of the country. You know, if, if, if certain regions are really struggling for water resources, make it available. Have them get grants. Or maybe the government can subsidize a part uh, of the energy costs, of the water costs um, associated with them. Um, you know, being, being poor, it shouldn't, like, there's so much that people have to go through, uh, you know, based on not having money. You, you are, you're made to suffer being poor and it's not fair. And it's like, there, there are solutions for this, but I think those who are in power, those who are holding on to power, hoarding power, they're not, um, going to give it up. And so something has to change. Either we get rid of the system of the community water systems that, I, in my opinion, they just, they just aren't fulfilling the need of the people. And people are struggling. Is water too expensive? Or is there, you know, you know does, do monies and, 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 and paid wages need to go up? Like, there's, there's probably more varied answers. But we have to meet in the middle somewhere. And people need to get water. You can't survive without water. We know this. You know, so for, for these systems to be historically um, linked or along racial lines, economic lines, those need to change. There's some, some systemic changes that need to be made and had um, here. More, more conversations, more doing, more action, more thinking. Um, and so there are some things we can do, and we're going to get to those in a bit. Um, about how to change the structure of this problem and maybe save, you know, droughts from happening. Cause that's another big factor as to why this is an issue. The Mother Earth Minutes is where we review in the next few minutes proactive things we can all do to combat the issue in the episode and protect Mother Earth. The message for this podcast episode is that with community water systems, there needs to be systemic change that happens in order to make them either more accessible or maybe they should just be done away with, period. And so one of the first things that needs to happen is if community water systems need to change is that, and what the research focuses on, is either mapping the community water systems that we have available in the U.S., and make sure that it's uh, done nationwide and integrate that data that's found uh, on drinking water uh, uh, and finance projects and infrastructure that needs to happen, which I talked about a little bit earlier, water supply and use, all of these things need to be mapped. How do systems use the water? Do they use it to water their lawns, for you know, bathing, uh, cooking, uh, laundry, things like that. Like, how uh, are the the tax basins in these uh, these counties and in the, in the 
these communities? Can they afford these huge uh, restructuring programs or restructuring projects that are required to fix our, wa- our our water pipes. You know, fixing infrastructure is expensive in the U.S. and it needs a huge overhaul. But if it's going to be done right, it needs to be mapped, calculated, researched, and done nationally so that it's a it's a standardized. Uh, information regarding these water systems because there's so many but at the same time there's so few there's so few in in relation to the people uh, in the u.s population number two is to focus on our efforts on uh, encouraging and enforcing water conservation that's another um you know uh, event when it comes to drought Uh, using up water or using less water, these are factors when it comes to drought. Because if you don't have the water, you're going to suffer more in a drought because you don't have anything to quell the soils, farmland resources, food is going to be impacted. All these things are impacted by water. So we should focus our efforts definitely on water conservation, especially in states you know, like California, for example, who are really going through it because they're they're arid already and they're getting worse and worse. There have been uh, other states, other places where water has not been plentiful. So focusing on uh, making water uh, definitely a reuse. So, you know, focusing on water treatment plants, uh, citizens getting involved, residents where they live, um, you know, just getting involved in making sure water is conserved, not wasted. Number three is to eliminate uh, either uh, the or decrease the tiered pricing. So pricing at different levels or depending on where you live, it should be just a standard uh, pricing. And so also getting rid of things like mandatory use restrictions. So, you know, whether you use um, the, the water for one purpose and it's restricted. So you're restricted in what you can use the water for. That should be done with. If it's not uh, unsustainable, you know, keep uh, what people can do with their water as is. Uh, There should also be uh, things like um, with the water uh, use fees, those should definitely be reduced, but it depends on, um, you know, what community you're looking at. You know, depending, it could could really set people who are low income backwards and so create more of an economic burden. You know, these things, you know, lead to failures uh, to pay and their uh, utilities being shut off. So there should be sort of a, an equalization of what people should pay. You know, pay what you can afford. Maybe that should be the model. Pay what you can afford for those who, who have more, who own more, um, who have more monies. They should pay, um, you know, a bit more and everyone pay just a little bit. Like I was saying, everyone pay a little bit more into our water system um, you know, those who have well water, you know, you don't you know, necessarily have to pay because you're, you're, you're using the water, but you know, how are you using it? That should be monitored. That should be uh, looked at, but everyone who can pay into the system, pay what you can, uh, making sure that these fees are steadily, um, at a, at a rate where everyone can afford. No one should have to, you know, go homeless or, um, you know, fight to have their utilities put back on because they can't pay them. So finding an equilibrium that works for, with everyone and for everyone is a re- really essential there. And then lastly, number four is to equalize resources across water systems. So this makes it fair for all 
all who are involved, all people who, you know, are paying for the water or, you know, just eliminate the whole uh, of water systems entirely. So make it so that um, there are water companies that you, you pay your water for. Sure, they're, they're getting rich already, but if you can pay something smaller to them than whatever you've been paying at a community water uh, system, you know, maybe that's better. Um, but making sure that whatever cost you pay or um, are able to do, that everyone's able to get water. That's the goal here, you know, period. Everyone can get water um, because you need water. So, you know, we really have to counteract. Um, it's a bit of racism. It's definitely segregation. Um, we didn't talk more about that, but it's definitely involved, especially the historical context of looking at water um, and other utilities in the U.S. It's not just water. Um, but for this research, um, you know, we looked at water systems and they need to change, you know, based on, you know, class lines and, and capitalist society that we're in. Um, it definitely should be changed. It needs to be changed. It must be changed. It cannot go on where people are... Um, you know, put at risk and, and, and living where they're living um, because of water, um, you know, shortages, water uh, not being accessible to them and having a system uh, that is broken. The fact of the day is that nearly 53% of the population in Fiji doesn't have a clean, safe source of drinking water. Ironically, Fiji is the home of the plant that bottles Fiji water, one of the most popular brands of bottled water in the U.S. That fact was sourced from factretriever.com. The Eagle Company Spotlight is where we are right now uh, in the program. So it's a time in Greener Thoughts where we talk about amazing environmentally related uh, products and services and those who are doing great for the environment. Uh, tons of companies have already done reviews about and talked about their uh, products and what they do and how great they are. And so I've been doing it for a bit now, since February 2019, and I love getting to talk about these amazing uh, places and things. And so if you have an idea about a company or you are the founder of one, definitely reach out to Greener Thoughts. It's amazing to get to talk every single episode about these companies. Uh, one of the latest ones is called Towels Bakes, and I love it. It's amazing food. It's definitely about uh, those who love, you know, snack bars. You know, life's too short to eat food that you don't like. And so Towels Bakes uh, has wonderful snacks that were created in their kitchens uh, with uh, definitely a unique taste, flavor, texture. It's a whole experience. So uh, the co it was co-founded by uh, Brooks. Uh, Thorntonson and the CEO Kyle uh, Hawari and their amazing sweet treats they are baked definitely baked and they are snack bars and you should definitely be able to enjoy towels bakes they're amazingly rich uh, full of texture uh, definitely fulfilling they will keep you full and are definitely wholesome they launched back in 2010 and they've produced millions of bars of towels bakes since then and they are satisfying sweet tooths sustainably. 
So regarding the uh, commitment to sustainability that Towels Bakes does and has, uh, their products are amazing because they are 100% organic in their ingredients. They are gluten-free for anyone who's worried about gluten-free uh, or gl- gluten uh, uh, allergies or any uh, products. And also they contain uh, non-GMO verified uh, ingredients. So they have tons of different uh, products, mainly their uh, bakes, so their their bakes, the bars that they're known for, and then they have granola products, and then they have bites, which are really mini uh, sized versions of some of their flavors. So with their bakes, they have flavors like their caramel uh, pecan and cranberries, and then they have the ginger snap pecan variety and then they have their dark chocolate almond and sea salt and then uh, pb uh, chocolate and butterscotch amongst other types of flavors and they have with their granola uh, two different flavors their trailblazer granola they have the maple pecan with the madagascar vanilla and the wild blueberry uh, with the cinnamon almond with their bites, they have the dark chocolate and sea salt and also the toasted coconut and vanilla bean flavors. So um, my experience of Towels Bakes is pretty great because uh, I love a good uh, snack bar, especially when it is sweet. I don't eat sweets a ton, uh, but when I do, uh, I favor something that's definitely healthy. It is filling. So, you know, one bar will do you fine, maybe two if you're super hungry, but these are definitely filling. And I had the almond uh, agave and the cinnamon and then the caramel pecan and cranberries. Both are definitely top-notch desserts if you want something healthy, want something filling, want something inexpensive, but definitely quality, like high-quality ingredients, this is what you should go for. Just reach, you know, uh, off the shelf and get one of these. Five out of five green thumbs up, I would give it totally. The packaging is bar none one of the cutest things I've ever seen. Definitely, I love the indigenous representation there. They definitely are doing uh, their state, New Mexico, uh, you know, where they're operated out of um, a proud. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's beautiful what they, you know, bring to it. It's great as an in- individual pack. They have bundles that you can get online or in stores too. I haven't found too many stores you can just buy the bundle. So I would definitely check, you know, online shops, um, which I'll get to a little bit later. They're great for, you know, a snack, um, great for your lunches, packing your lunches, you know, great for maybe kids or, you know, traveling, you know, camping, uh, events like that, you know, occasions like that. They are definitely affordable with their pricing. They come varied. You can get the single bars, which are probably less than uh, $3 or so. Um, and then they have their six bars variety, six whole six in the pack, and that's for about $14.99 US dollars. And then their 12 bars, which is that you can get in a pack, um, and then that's for $25.99 US dollars. And then there are 144 bars that you can get for $288 uh, US dollars. Now, Tiles Bakes can be found online and in store. So you can go to the website, tilesbakes.com. That's T-A-O-S bakes.com. And then go to store locator at the bottom of the website. You can also go to places like Amazon or co-ops where you live. So like maybe small uh, co-op run uh, locations, uh, natural markets, any natural market, uh, you can probably find they're available at Publix 
REI and other uh, stores across the U.S. Uh, Towels Bakes is on the following social media platforms of Facebook. Uh, Towels Bakes, that's T-A-O-S, Bakes, B-A-K-E-S. They're on Instagram, also at Towels Bakes, all lowercase uh, one word. They're on LinkedIn at Towels Bakes. They're on Pinterest. Uh, well, maybe they're not on Pinterest, but you can go ahead and check, especially with the inspired boards. They're on Twitter as well on uh, as Towels Bakes on their page, and they're also on YouTube at Towels Bakes. I recently subscribed to their YouTube channel, and I love it. Their videos are really engaging, pretty short, and so I wish that they had more subscribers, but they're getting there. To contact Towels Bakes, just go to their website again, www.towelsbakes.com, and then either go to the question mark icon at the uh, top of their uh, website to direct contact them, or go to the bottom of the website under Reach Out. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in and coming back for another amazing podcast episode. Um, I definitely learned new things about the topic, especially how many water systems we have in the U.S. Um, and how this problem got started. Um, and, you know, did these community water systems need work? And, you know, some solutions that are definitely uh, ways that we can combat this um, issue and fight it, um, especially if we don't want water systems around um, you know, if you live in a community water system, you know, maybe evaluate if it's best for you. Um, if it's expensive to, uh, you know, have one and to be a user of one, you know, consider maybe, uh, buying into, um, you know, paying for water from a water company. Maybe it'll save you some money and maybe be different than you used to. Um, and you know, it's something to consider. So thank you again. Amazing, uh, you know, time uh, talking with you all and learning new things. I love each and every one of you who comes in and listens and is, you know, an earful that they want to uh, talk with and, and listen about uh, this, you know, different topic. Uh, all the topics are, you know, different in some way or another. So I'm glad to have learned some things and some shared some and shared some information. So having a good time as always. So just please take care of yourselves always and please take care of the planet. Thank you so much. Take care. Mm-hmm.